Our U.S. military and military veterans are our country's greatest assets. But service comes with a price. Post-traumatic stress is our enemy, and our mission today is Operation Healing Heroes. Brought to you by Great Clips. Hey everyone, it's Jay Garstecki, and welcome to another edition of the Operation Healing Heroes podcast, where we document the lives of our U.S. military veterans one story at a time. In addition, we provide the resources to our veterans and their family members who might be struggling with post-traumatic stress so they can get the help that they absolutely deserve. Be sure to check out our TV show, Operation Healing Heroes on Discovery Channel, Waypoint TV, Wired to Fish TV, Amazon Prime, and YouTube. Join me today as we talk to Mike Dunphy, a United States Navy veteran who served from 1990 to 1996. Join me as he shares his story. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Great Clips, the world's largest salon brand with over 4,400 locations in the U.S. and Canada. Great Clips, it's gonna be great. And by Sure Microphones, the leader in audio electronics since 1925. Visit them at www.sure.com. Hey, everyone. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to Mike uh, Dunphy. He is a United States Navy veteran who served from 1990 to 1996. Mike, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you, Jay. Hey, we're uh, we're live from Whispering Winds Resort in Cook, Minnesota, where we're having a special Mother's Day weekend. Um, Mike was kind enough to bring ten U.S. military veterans from the uh, Healing's Nest uh, up in Alexandria, Minnesota. Uh, Sock Center, Sock Center, close, Minnesota, close to Alexandria. We got 10 veterans up here, uh, eight guides that are treating our veterans to uh, three or four days of fishing, uh, the, the Minnesota fishing opener up here. Um, they just went out on the water this morning about uh, 7, 30, 8 o'clock, and we're already getting some text messages with pictures, so it's exciting. We got uh, veterans out there catching fish. Mike, thanks again for joining us and for uh, making sure that these vets got here this weekend and uh, got to enjoy themselves. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. So you were in the Navy uh, from 1990 to 1996. Uh, you were attached to the 7th Fleet Carrier Air Wing 5 and VS-21. Yes. And um, yeah, I mean, really with the show, what I like to try and do is uh, do four different segments. What was life like growing up? What was life like in the military? How was transitioning out of the military? And what's life like now? You know, and uh, if you don't mind, we'll start with uh, with life growing up. Sure. Um so I was born in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, my parents were transplants out there. They were actually from Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, I spent my younger formative years in Mesa. I remember it very well. We Back then, it wasn't so crowded. We actually lived on the edge of the desert with the Superstition Mountains um, right there outside, you know, the window, the yard could see that every day. It was very beautiful. Um, life was pretty good. I remember, though, when I was about six or seven, we kind of got uprooted and, and loaded everything up and moved almost all the way across the USA to Indiana. Hmm. I didn't really know why at the time. I just, you know, went with it. But um, <clears throat> it turned out it was because my mother had developed breast cancer at a very young age. And um family they were both from lafayette indiana so they the family wanted her back there to help with getting her the cancer treatment that yeah. she needed 
So as that went on, um, and, and, and again, two reasons not really known to me at the time, uh, mom went through that struggle. Uh, it caused issues in the marriage, mm-hmm. you know. I remember one evening, uh, mom and dad fighting, yelling at each other, and I remember putting my little body between them and holding my arms up and saying, stop, mm. and ran upstairs. And then I uh, remember the next morning, I came downstairs and all dad's clothes were on the couch and mom just rather nonchalantly said that my dad wouldn't be living there anymore. And, uh, so then the divorce happened and I started, uh, traveling back and forth. He eventually moved to California, had a job out there. So wasn't all that bad for me. You know, I I got to go out to California every summer to visit him and, and spend some time in long beach. And then, um, I had aunts and uncles. Um, my mother struggled a lot through the cancer, through the divorce, you know, um, a lot of nights out at bars. Uh, just one of those things that I was exposed to from a from an early age, also being in a large Catholic family. Uh, some of those stereotypes are true. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, life went on and uh, we did the best we could. You know, as I developed into an adolescent, I probably became a little bit rebellious you know i came up through parochial school system so i was already ready to buck mm-hmm. the system um and and I, I was i was a troublemaker i i was a hellion and um i got lucky that my son wasn't like that when he was growing <laughs> up i got really lucky on that but i i joined the military and um I went into the United States Navy. I did root camp in Great Lakes. And um, it changed me uh, significantly. Not that I didn't still have that wild side, but I had a lot of discipline now. And I remember, you know, I I did my best in the, uh, I was an AT, Aviation Electronics Technician. um, And I did my best in my A school uh, because I knew that the higher you scored in your class, the first choice orders you had. So before we get into your actual military time, um, were you an only child? I was an only child. Okay. Yes. Only child, but I had a lot of cousins. So that was kind of like brothers and sisters and family. Yeah. We hung out with them all the time. Spent a lot of time together. That's cool. Yeah. As I was younger, while grandma and grandpa were still alive, we all um, spent a lot of time together. So did you have, did you come from a military background? Did you? So yeah, my grandfather, so my grandfather and my, um, well, I called him Uncle Blackjack, but it was my grandfather's friend. They were both World War II vets. Um, one was in, my grandfather was in the Army. Uh, Blackjack was in the Navy. And um, they were the ones who taught me how to go fishing. And I would sit around at the table with them when they'd get home from their Legion meetings. And I'd listen to them basically telling me war stories and it was fascinating to me. I'm sure that looking back on it, that some of it was some BS, you know, <laughs> because they're just having fun with the kid. Yeah. But, you know, it was really inspiring to me. And I remember in first or second grade, they one of the assignments, and I remember this vividly, was what do you want to be when you grow up? And I and draw a picture of it. So I drew a picture of a soldier on a mountain with a flag. You know, and at that time, I don't think of anything but Army. Army's 
yeah, everything. It's right. just army, right? Um, so I, I I went through that. I was very I was very keen to make my grandfather proud of me. And he, but here's one thing that I also remember how loyal I am to my friends. I was in Cub Scouts. It was Veterans Day back when we used to still do parades on Veterans Day. Mm-hmm. And um, my Cub Scout troop was marching in the parade, and the Cub Master asked me if I wanted to carry the American flag at the front of the pack. And I was like, sure, because my grandpa is going to be there, and they're going to see that. And that's going to be cool, right? Yeah. But then I look in the back, and my best friend's in the very back row, and he's looking kind of sad because we were going to walk together, you know, and, and we're, what, eight years old or something. Uh-huh. So he looked kind of sad, so I went to my troop leader, and I was like, hey, uh, can you give someone else the flag because I want to go in the back, you know? So I felt kind of guilty, like I let my grandfather down because I'm not carrying the flag, but, you know, now I look back at it. It was more important for me to march with my friend. That's cool. You know, and, and that's the kind of person I've, I think I've been throughout my life. So, um, yeah. And a lot of, a lot of going to the Legion with my grandfather and the 40 and eight and, and hanging out with all those guys and listening to all those stories. So it was definitely, uh, and my father, he was in the army. Uh, my father's father was in the army. Um, my mother's father, and so it just came from a long line of military, military backgrounds. Yeah, cool. And uh, at what point did you decide that you were going to go into the Navy? Were you in high school, or I was in high school, and um, I had a friend who graduated before me, and um, we talked about the Navy and the opportunities that were there as far as the schooling and and whatnot goes, and. and also, other little factors that come in, like, well, what rate's over full now? Because then it's hard to make rank in that mm-hmm. rate. So, um, you know, that's when I made my decision. And then there was another buddy in high school. We were actually going to go to boot camp on the buddy system. But for whatever reason, he got medically disqualified before we actually took off. So I went alone. Hmm. But um, that's that's why I decided to go to the Navy. I... Um, I won't lie. Top Gun probably influenced that a little yeah. bit back, you know, I yeah. mean, when I was a kid and I saw that movie, it was just like, <laughs> I wanted to be around jet airplanes. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Well, it, why not Air Force? Everyone says that the Air Force have got it easy. They're in the air conditioned tents and. <laughs> yeah, they do. Um, however, the fact of like the, I don't know if you want to call it like some romantic idea of being able to visit ports all over the world. Yeah. You know, especially the blackjack was such a huge influence on my life. He was actually the first person that ever taught me how to even fish for walleye, which hopefully I'll be able to make him proud today. Um but just that romantic notion of being able to travel to all these different countries and meet all these people, um, that just that really had it for me. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. So um Mom and dad divorced. Uh, you were flying back and forth to Long Beach, California to visit dad um, throughout, what, your high school years? What, what, how old were you oh, when this they divorced? Was, this was probably eight years old. Oh, okay. So you were back, pretty Back when, yeah, you could still put a kid on an airplane alone, and not, and the, you knew the stewardesses were going to take care of him. Yeah. Life was a lot different back then. Yeah. Yeah, you know? right. So um, mom and dad both still alive? and No. Uh, unfortunately, mom passed away in 2003. She... um had 
struggled with her third bout of breast cancer. It had mm. metastasized to her lungs. Um, and she fought a valiant battle, um, which I don't know how to feel about that because she, she suffered a lot. Yeah. Uh, she passed away in 2003 on uh, a little bit after her 54th birthday. And then, um, ironically, in 2010, I was actually at my mother's gravesite on February 5th because it was her birthday and I was putting flowers on her tombstone. And my dad had just happened to call me while I was getting back into the car. And he's like, hey, I got something to tell you. And I just knew by the tone. He's like, I got cancer. It's in my liver. It's in my lungs. You know, and then we started talking about, you know, his not really wanting to take medication for it because it's pretty bad and it's not going to improve the quality of his life, just the length of it. <clears throat> so I told him I supported him and whatever that it was that he wanted to choose to do. And then I would come down there. Uh, I was actually fighting uh, MMA at the time and I was in the training camp, but I did go down there that weekend. And then after my fight, I went down there every couple of weeks and helped him finish some projects that he wanted to get done. Cause he felt like he had like a, a bunch of half broken stuff laying oh. around. He didn't want to leave that laying around like that. So we did that. And, uh, he passed away in June of 2010. Wow. So, Sorry. yeah, it's, um, been one of those things that have been pretty pre predominant in my family. Yeah. Aunts, uh, grandparents, um, yeah, cancer's been been a thing. Hmm. So, so were you one of those that graduated early and went into the military? Or yes, yeah, yes, I did. I, I I graduated at seventeen, and I had actually like first went and talked to him when I was sixteen to really? get in. Yeah, but and I went in on the delayed entry program. But then after graduation, I think it was. A month after graduation, I uh, went into boot camp, or I went down to the MEP station because um, I'd already done the ASVAB stuff and all yep. that, and uh, went to the MEP station, then got on a bus and went to Chicago. Wow. All right, cool. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, if you don't mind, I want to hear all about your military career and uh, sure. the ups and downs and highs and lows, but uh, six years of active duty in the Navy, I'm sure you got some stories to tell. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. Uh... Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Great Clips, the world's largest salon brand with over 4,400 locations in the U.S. and Canada. Great Clips, it's gonna be great. And by Sure Microphones, the leader in audio electronics since 1925. Visit them at www.sure.com. This week's Veterans Resource Nonprofit of the Week is Take a Vet Fishing. We provide one-day group fishing outings to veterans struggling with post-traumatic stress. The great outdoors has a natural healing power. Come experience the camaraderie and healing that one day on the water can provide. If you're a veteran living in or willing to travel to Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, or Florida, you can sign up free of charge to our One Day of Giving Back events. Visit www.takeavetfishing.org for more information. 
and we're back talking to Mike Dunphy. Mike, thanks again for sharing your story with us. Uh, you had led us right up to the military point where at about 17 you went into the military. And um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what that was like? Was it what you expected when you uh, went to boot camp? Uh, so that was a long day. <laughs> and then um, once we finally did uh, all get showered and uh, gotten our racks to sleep, I think about the time I got my eyes closed, the company commander came in throwing trash cans down the hallway, the big galvanized <laughs> steel ones. And my first thought was, what the hell am I doing yeah. here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did I get myself into, exactly. right? Yeah. I wasn't too sure about how this This was wasn't going. what it looked like on Top Gun. <laughs> right. Not, not at all. Everybody's being not nice right now. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was it was a process, and I, and I kind of understood the way that it needed to go. And um, I got through it, and I, I – during boot camp, I was, I was, I was ate up. They called it, you know, I was all about it and, um, proved myself. Uh, it made me a section leader when I was in boot camp, and, um, you know, and we had a really good company. We had a color company, and it was, um, we did very well as a team and, uh, really bonded with those guys. And, as a matter of fact, kept in touch with a couple of them throughout the years, yeah. even from boot camp. Yeah. So we were just so close, but we had also gone on to some other things after boot camp together. As Got well. it. So after boot camp, uh, what was your, did you guys, do you guys have an MOS in, in the Navy? Yeah. So yeah. sometimes if you're, if you're smart enough, you're going to ask your recruiter for that. Your what your rating's going to be, um, you know, what you want to strike for. And depending on what how you score in your ASVAB, is that a possibility? So I wanted to go into aviation electronics or avionics. And um, I was able to do that, so I had that rate coming out. When you have a rate coming out of boot camp, and say mine was for uh, being an Airedale, um, they sent us at that time to Millington, Tennessee. Um, that base is no longer open in ATTC Millington. They moved all the avionics training and aircraft stuff to Pensacola. Cool. But that was the next stage, um, going through AVA school. Um, very difficult, you know, starting with, you know, you, you start with some simple math and get to vector algebra within like four weeks. And it's wow. just, you know, it's pretty intense, but, but you go through and, and you start learning how to troubleshoot different electronics equipment. Um, there's two type of ATs though, or in a, in a lot of different rates, there's two types. You got I level and you have O level. I level guys are going to be actually taking the components out of the units apart and figuring out, you know, which which pathway or which resistor, or which capacitor, or what needs to be fixed on what circuit. O level guys are more like systems. Uh, fixers. So if the systems, certain system in the aircraft's not working or it comes back down or it comes back with an issue, we'll troubleshoot it by circuit breakers, reseeding boxes because there's a lot of jolting on an aircraft carrier uh -huh. with planes um, or possibly replacing a what's called a weapons replaceable assembly, a WRA. And uh, hopefully we can fix that. We'll get that checked out and try to do that in between launches. Huh. So that was the, the difference, and, and I went with O-Level because that meant I would be up on top of the flight deck 
running around working up there instead of down in the bellies of the ship (laughs) working on just components right so how long was it before you actually got on your first ship so it was um after a school then you have to go to framp school which is a familiarization on your airplane um which mine was the s3b viking so i spent nine months in a school then another three months in framp school so that first year was boot camp and school Mm. basically and that was and then i took uh 30 days of leave before i went overseas okay was that your first deployment then my first deployment and i picked i wanted to go overseas i didn't join the navy because i wanted to go home on the weekends yeah i wanted to go overseas i was able to pick orders in my class i had third choice of orders in my class and I, the only overseas boat that they had was S3s with CAG-5 in the 7th Fleet over there in Yokosuka, Japan. And so I was like, sign me up. Yeah. I'll take it. I don't even know what an S3 is at the time. But <laughs> figure it, it out. <laughs> it wasn't as cool looking as the F-14, but yeah. I was like, I want to go overseas. That's cool. Yeah. So what was life like in Japan? Oh, it's amazing. It's really beautiful. And they give you the opportunity to, um, they, they take you through what's called an ICR class. So when you first get there, you spend your first two weeks going through an intercultural relations class. So you can kind of learn how to read some of the Japanese people and what some things mean. They'll take you and, and kind of get you familiar familiar with the trains. Um and how to recognize which line goes where because they're all color coded mm-hmm. because a lot of stuff's written i mean a lot of stuff's written in english but most of it's all kanji so you don't have english everywhere to read right and um so you, you got to figure that kind of stuff out yourself plus you take the dra- japanese driving test oh really so you can get a license because you know it's you might be a duty driver and have to you know that's just part of like watch duty and stuff sometimes you got you're holding a watch at a barracks or you might be duty driver or hmm. whatever that looks like. So you got to be able to drive out in the community. And that's it. How is that? That'd be <laughs> difficult, huh? Well, you, in, in, during that class, they'll, they'll teach you what signs, what, cause they're all different, obviously, right. you know, different signs and, and how their stoplights operated were a little bit different. Cause they're kind of like the, the ones that you see here with just arrows Mm-hmm. That's how it is everywhere there. And then you got different expressways you can get on where you don't have a whole bunch of traffic, but driving can be pretty nuts yeah. over there, especially if you're getting in the Tokyo districts. Yeah. So yeah. not always the most fun. Sometimes it's easier just to take a train somewhere. Yeah. Honestly. So how long were you there for? So wow. I was there for almost five years wow okay yeah i did all of i did my whole enlistment over there wow and um i was only supposed to go there for two years at first um but then i i signed an operational extension commitment while i was there actually two of them um just because i didn't like where they were offering me to go i I went to all my schools on the East Coast, and I kind of had this, like, I wanted to go to Europe. But once you're on the West Coast in the Navy, oftentimes you're not going to leave the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And it's they always say it's two different navies, and it, and it is. Yeah. Um, so I never, even though I got promised, I never got the opportunity to 
go back to like um, Cecil Field or uh, Oceana, Virginia, or even Sigonella or Rota, anywhere like that. I would have loved to have gone, but um, it wasn't in the cards. Uh -huh. So that was about the time I decided. Well, you know, I was twenty, almost twenty four, twenty three, and I knew everything. So I didn't need the military anymore. I could uh -huh. just go on, go on with my life. Yep. You had <laughs> it all figured that out. Regret decision sometimes. <laughs> you had it all figured out, right? Yeah. Wow. My, how things change, I'm sure, right? Yeah. So, For sure. Um, what were some of the most memorable things from your deployments out in, in Japan, if you, if you had to think about it? I mean, whether it was time so, spent with guys uh, or... So, like... Interactions you had with the Japanese or... So many. Um, I'll, I'll start with more military-based stuff right now. Like, yeah. I remember my very first deployment, um, and we were headed to the Persian Gulf. But um, in order, I was going to be working on the flight deck. But so in order, there's a whole lot of, when you get to a ship and it's your first time, you a whole checklist of things that you have to go through so you can learn how to get around a, a ship, especially an aircraft carrier, and to do it safely. Um, one of the things was that they would take you up on what's called Vulture's Row, which is way up on the, the island, and you sit up there and you watch flight deck operations as we're doing carrier qualifications. You know, we just pulled out, planes are landing, they're capturing, they're trapping, and they're, they're taxiing up and launching again. You got to get three traps and mm -hmm. three sh cat shots to be carrier qualified. So a whole lot of that first couple of days is just doing that stuff. So you're up there watching and I'm like, yeah, there's no way in hell I'm going down on that thing because <laughs> that place is insane with all the jets turning around and the jet exhaust and then the jet intakes and the props on these planes and the helicopters just like nuts. But the next day, you know, I'm, I'm down there running around with my elite LPO and, um, for real, they make you hold on to their pocket, you know, yeah. because it's a, you know, you think about different things in the military was like, you know, combat being a very stressful and very dangerous situation. Um, the flight deck of an aircraft carrier, whether it be during combat situations or not, is always, dangerous. yeah, it's just always, uh, you got to like literally keep your head on a swivel like they yeah. say you got to be aware and alert yep not a place to uh get complacent at all wow. so it was um yeah i mean that was a memorable moment you know and and just being on the flight deck at all you know watching f-14s take off at nighttime with the afterburners on i mean there's just some pretty things the a6s you know, at full military throttle, and you're standing in between them, and you can almost feel the fillings rattle out of your teeth. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. so much power, and you feel that heat, and you smell that that jet exhaust, that diesel-y smell, and, and just the it's – a, it's a, it was a wonderful feeling of accomplishment and pride for what we were capable of. I mean, this, this warship, you know, and that could cause so much damage. It was something to be proud of, and it was yeah. proud to be a part of. And what ship were you on? That was the USS Independence. Independence, cool. CV-62, yeah. She got decommissioned in 1998, I believe. Wow. But um, she was a good ship. That's really cool. Yeah. What other things regarding the 
time in Japan would you say are most um, memorable? So, not gonna lie, really fell in love with Japanese girls for a time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there were some pretty cool places in Tokyo. I mean, so when we had Liberty, you know, there was definitely places to go. Uh, Rapungi District, Shinjuku District, um, lots of nightclubs, and you know, when you're 19 18 19 20 years old and you're able to go to nightclubs and live it up yeah we did that for sure yeah you know and that's in japan and you know and then there's little things though there's there's some really beautiful places like kamakura uh, which has the great buddha there and there's a lot of gardens and there's a lot of shrines uh in shinto shrines there's a lot of buddhist monuments um there's a lot of pretty stuff to take in hmm. um it's an interesting they're an interesting people and for the most part got along with us very well i was gonna ask how how are you guys received over there it it varied there there are people that still hold a grudge yeah at that time um i as a matter of fact i had a girlfriend over there and on august 6th she would not talk to me really like why she says you don't know Cause I'm not even thinking about that. Right. I'm like, I right. moved on with my life. Yeah. And I right. wasn't, you know, yeah. You're not thinking yeah. About so it's like, she, no, we couldn't even see each other that day. And I thought, oh, that's just weird. That is weird. You know? And then there was people that protested us being there. And, and there were situations where protesters would come out and throw pipe bombs over the gates. And really, Oh yeah, it happens. Wow. But not often, but it does happen. There's people that don't want us there. Yeah. But it's a very strategic place to be. Wow. So. Interesting. Anything else regarding your military career that you want to share? The ports. I mean, just the the, the ports. The, having the opportunity to go to places like Thailand and the Philippines and Australia, um, Hong Kong, even in the, the UAE, uh, Bahrain, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, those kind of places, just having the opportunity to not just go there, but meet some of the people there, experience some of the culture outside of the bars and stuff, you know, it was, when else in my life could I have ever done that? Right. You know? So, um, that, those are memories that will stay with me forever, as well as some of the friends that I made that, uh, still keep in touch with this to this day. That's cool. So overall, you'd say the military was a right decision for you. For sure. I think that I finally felt like I belonged somewhere for the first time in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I felt, you know, I was, I felt like an intricate part of a system. Yep. And it was good. What would you say to young kids nowadays that are thinking about going into the military? I have a lot of, um, I have a lot of hesitancy answering that question because I, I see a lot of things going on in the military that I really disagree with right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it worries me with what type of indoctrination they got going on now. It's seems like a lot softer military and it just gets softer and softer. They have stress cards now. Stress cards. Yeah. Hey, I'm in boot camp. You're yelling at me. You're stressing me out. I'm going to hand you a card that gives me a timeout. Yeah. Yeah. I guess really? So. Yeah. I don't understand. I, first that. I heard it's of like, it, but it breaks down what it's all about. Yeah. You know? Right. I mean, that's the whole 
point about the boot camp is to break you down and build you back up, exactly. isn't it? I mean, that's what it was meant to do. Exactly. And so this um, age of entitlement that we have uh, unfortunately, yeah, we've unfortunately pushed it onto our kids. Um, for I don't know how that happened, but um, it's uh, it's it's leading to bigger and bigger problems. Yeah down yeah. the road and the military being one of them honestly so depending on what kind of a person it is i mean you know if, if it's somebody who's gung-ho and wants is all about doing the right thing and 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 being that being that leader mm -hmm. i would encourage it because it's an experience you won't get anywhere else and it can lead to a lot of good opportunities it can also lead to a lot of bad opportunities though yeah. Depending on your choices that you make. Yep. Well, that's a good segue into our, our next segment, which was reintegration into civilian life. So if uh, you don't mind, I'm going to take a short break. And as soon as we get back, we're going to talk about uh, your time coming out of the military and reintegrating into civilian life. Sound good? Yes, sir. All right. Let's be right back. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Wiley X Sunglasses. Wiley X is a family-owned company founded by U.S. military veteran Miles Freeman Sr. with a focused determination to create the world's best protective gear for those that protect our country. Over 35 years ago, Wiley X was born on the battlefield. Today, Wiley X continues to pioneer protective eyewear and sunglasses, not only for our military, but for consumers as well. Visit www.wileyx.com and support the companies that support our veterans. This week's Veterans Resource Nonprofit of the Week is Take a Vet Fishing. We provide one-day group fishing outings to veterans struggling with post-traumatic stress. The great outdoors has a natural healing power. Come experience the camaraderie and healing that one day on the water can provide. If you're a veteran living in or willing to travel to Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, or Florida, you can sign up free of charge to our one day of giving back events. Visit www.takeavetfishing.org for more information. And we're back talking to Mike Dunphy. Mike, again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, we're live at Whispering Winds Resort in Cook, Minnesota. I want to give a big shout out to uh, the owners, Ron and Margaret and their son, Jeremy, for hosting this military event this weekend. Uh, we couldn't have done it without them. They they donated their entire resort to us for the weekend, and uh, we're having a great time out here. But um, I want to talk real quick, Mike, if you don't mind, about um, life right after the military, getting back out, transitioning in. Um, I get the uh, the honor of being able to interview a lot of our veterans, and and for I'd say almost a hundred percent of them, um, reintegration back into civilian life, whether you were in combat or you weren't, it, it's, um, it's difficult and, and rightfully so, you know what I mean? In the military, you're told when to wake up, you're told when to eat, you're told when to, you know, do a lot of things. And then you get back into civilian life and it can be a lot more difficult, um, finding a sense of purpose, that type of thing, finding a job that really, like you said, you are an intricate part of something that was way bigger than anyone can even imagine, right? I mean, like you said, you are an intricate part of that entire ship. I mean, the reality is, is that uh, it takes everybody to make that ship move. And um, you come out of the military and, and you, what are you, find a desk job or you go do something and, and you don't get that, that sense of accomplishment maybe. So um, tell me what it was like for you re reintegrating into civilian life. Sure. Um, 
yeah, that was, you know, like you just said, uh, being an intricate part and how it all plays off of each other. It's just like on a carrier, you have all these different aircraft that are up in the air and they all have different jobs and communicate through data link problems so they can accomplish a mission, right? And all the people on the ship and the squadrons are, are like that too. And so you are a huge part of something um, that you feel proud of that you feel like you're doing the right thing and then um for whatever reason maybe because hey i'm ready to move on to the next stage of my life or or whatever that looks like you decide to get out and then um there's a there's a feeling of restlessness immediately i remember i got out and i was going to go to purdue university and study aeronautical engineering I thought that would be a good idea. My skipper wrote me a good letter to the admissions office there to get me into that program. And um, I was home, went to find a part-time job over the summer working for an appliance repairman. I thought, well, with my avionics experience, that, that'll come in handy. And um, he said, yeah, sure, start in a couple weeks. And then I was going to start school that fall. And... I got on my motorcycle because I was bored, and I had two weeks to kill, so I took all the back roads down to North Carolina to see my pops, and then um, ended up going down to Myrtle Beach and Savannah, Georgia, and Jacksonville, and Daytona, and, and Panama Beach, and Pensacola, and made this big trip that lasted three months, and had a new, a new plan. I was going to go race motorcycles in the WERA down in the southeastern region. Wow. That was what my plan was. I hear I'm going leaving, not going to go to college now. I'm not right. taking this other job. I'm like, because I that's that adrenaline rush. Yeah, right. You know, and it's like the same thing when you're like next to those aircraft on the carrier, or you're running around, and it's just insane because. Whether we're in a combat situation or not in the combat situation, the job's the same. Yeah. Right. You know? So it's like, um, you know, you kind of miss that. And then you get out and you get on a bike. And you're like, oh, yeah, I can I can do this. I can really lay into some of these corners. And then um, so that became the plan. And uh, I needed I had a little bit of money, but I ended up joining a um, – one of those crews that travel around the country selling stuff door to door. Really? Yeah, it was a cleaner. It was called Hypro. Huh. And I caught on with them in Indiana, and I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to kind of ride this bus down to Georgia, um, North Carolina area, to where I know that my father is, and he's got connections in that whole world because he's been racing like as a hobby his whole life. So uh, I went down that way. I, I, I did this this door-to-door selling, which was fun. It was an interesting thing. It kind of helped me boost some confidence because here I'm going and knocking on strangers' doors. Yeah. You know, which it can be frustrating. Um, and it can be a little crazy because you're living out of hotels with a bunch of other kids going around selling stuff. But it was fun. But, you know, it, it lasted its course. And, and when I got down to uh, Carolina, I stayed there. And... Um, went on that pursuit of racing and trying to make money. So I'm hot and brick, I'm tending bar, I'm trying to save, you know, money up to to buy the equipment that I need. And then life just kind of 
takes another turn, you know. I'm making my now I'm in the bar scene and I'm working all these these bar jobs and I meet this girl I'm crazy about and racing doesn't seem to be so important. I'm making really good money bartending, just kind of living that young lifestyle. And then um I think that, you know, some of those behaviors of the the, the drinking too much like I had in the military at times. Um, and now I'm in a bar all the time. So alcohol started becoming an issue for me. I remember I, I was charged with a DUI in like 97, 98. And um, so there was obviously something going on, but not anything that I wanted to, to address at that time. I was just trying to find myself and where I fit in. And um, ended up moving around a lot. After I left North Carolina, I was, I was back in Indiana for a while. I went back to school. I got involved with other organizations because I was kind of missing something about the military. Mm -hmm. I got involved with the American Legion, the VFW, the Navy Club, the 48. Um, a lot of the members there at that time were still World War II vets and Vietnam vets. And uh, But to listen to them and become friends and feel like you're on the same level, you know, it, it, it was good for me, but that kind of stuff also led to, because it was almost like being in a room full of alcoholics, like yeah. all the time, the guys that spend all day there drinking and stuff, they got some great stories. They're interesting people, but you get caught up in it too, uh -huh. you know, and then I'm going to school. So I kind of left that and started welding and, uh, for a truck repair shop was welding trailers for them, which wasn't always welding jobs. So I started to learn how to work on trucks, um, clutches and brakes and some engine work and stuff. So, you know, life took another turn. I started to get comfortable in that job, met a girl, had a child. Uh, so then life just kind of spun that way. And then, um, then we started getting in trouble. Yeah. The uh, girlfriend, we never got married, but there was a lot of, it was a toxic relationship and it was not good for us to be around our son. So we split up. Um, but then there was a lot of weird things going on afterwards. And, and I won't get in because I don't want to talk bad about anybody, <clears throat> but I made some really poor choices on how I reacted and I drank a lot. Um and I was getting DUIs. I got several DUIs, and I went to jail. Um, went to jail. I actually ended up being in prison from 2002 to 2007. Wow. Yeah. Five years, huh? Yeah. Um, and now that was, I wouldn't have had to because I was going to just do two years in prison, but it's one. So it's like, if you got sentenced in Indiana, if you got, you get to do 50% of the time at that okay. time. So I only had to do one year in prison. Then I was supposed to come out and do six years, which meant three in a work release program. Well, I violated that violated my probation. So I ended up having to do all that time in the department of corrections too. Wow. So, and, and that was for two felony DUIs. Now, my, it wasn't an accident. I didn't hurt anybody, but I had two felony DUIs. So that meant I had three DUIs altogether. Yeah. So 
you know, I had to pay the price for that, and I did. And I think that started making me a little bit resentful, um, you know, and I started just spinning a little bit more out of control. And I actually kind of got myself back together before I got out of prison. I started working out really good. Um, I got out. I got involved with a MMA gym. And I started doing Naga tournaments, which is North American Grappling Association. Um, started fighting uh, MMA fights. And I did very well at that. I got injured, some pretty serious injuries during that time. I uh, broke my neck in 2008. Holy cow. Shattered C7 and C6. Wow. Yeah, I was nuts. And I didn't even know it for two weeks. Until no I way. Finally, yeah, so I... We're, we're training and I get caught in a guillotine and he cranks my neck and something pops, right? I go two more rounds, but then I'm finally like, oh, this hurts too mm-hmm. much. So I'm rolling around on a tennis ball thing and I pulled a muscle. Go to urgent care. They don't take an x-ray or nothing. They're like, you know, here's some pills. Mm-hmm. Talk to my doctor the next day. He's like, goes as far as to tell me what muscle I allegedly pulled, which wasn't the truth. None of that stuff happened. So... The next week, I'm back in the gym. I just kind of took it easy, and I'm drilling single-leg takedowns. And as soon as I put my head into my opponent's chest, I could feel a shooting pain down. And we had a tournament in Chicago that weekend. I was like, I'm out. I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Having to walk around with my – pull my hand up over my head to relieve the pressure. Well, my grandmother talks me into going to see her chiropractor, and he – holds up a finger telling me that my neck is bent one way and it's supposed to be bent the opposite way. And he shows me that with his finger and through physical manipulation and knee stem that we'll get that fixed up. So what he did that for three days, it didn't get any better said, okay, well, I'm going to send you over to this hospital to get a shot because your muscles inflamed is pushing on a nerve, right? That's just an excuse for everything. Mm-hmm. So we do that, but the doctor's like, I want to take an x-ray. He comes back out with a cervical collar and said, your neck's broken. You need an MRI <laughs> right no. now. Yeah, so when I got the MRI, you could see there was about two dozen bone fragments around my spinal cord, and my spinal cord was compressed. Wow. So that was caused. And you were like that for two weeks, walking yeah. around like that for two weeks. Yeah. Unbelievable. This all happened. The, the, the accident happened the week before Memorial Day in 2008, and on June eighth i had the surgery the spinal fusion surgery wow so yeah it was Two pretty weeks. pretty yucky period but um i mean so injuries and stuff like that happen in that in that sport and i was very successful at it um i don't i think that we talked about my mother passing away in 2003 when my father uh in 2010 he wasn't crazy about my fighting and uh, one of the things that I always remembered about my father was that since we didn't live in the same state, there was only one time that he ever came to one of my baseball games as a kid. And I was a pretty good baseball player. I mean, I was always getting on base, making great plays. Well, the day that he came to my game, I struck out three times, all three times at bat. And that was a horrible feeling for me as a little kid because here's my dad here. I want to mm-hmm. show off in front of him. And I strike out, strike out, strike out. So all these years later, I'm fighting, right? But he's like, I don't know if you should be doing that. You know, what's going to happen if you get crippled or something? You know, I just broke my neck. Now I've got a subarachnoid hemorrhage going on, and my brain's bleeding and getting that taken care of. 
But um, he's like, what if you, you know, get hurt and you can't take care of yourself? And I'm, I know, dad, you think everything through. I don't. I just, mm-hmm. I just I do go. it. And I just go. suffer the consequences <laughs> <Right>? instead. <laughs> but uh, he got sick with cancer. Um, and that, that was hard to take because I was out visiting my mother's grave site on her birthday when he told me that. And I was actually in a training camp for a fight. And then he um, he asked me if I could help him get some things done around his house. And I said, sure thing. And I, I went down there one weekend before the fight. And I said, I'll tell you what, as soon as my fight's over with, I'll be back down. And sure enough, the day after my last fight, um, I headed down there. It was a great fight, by the way. I won that one in the second round. But um, it was I was down there for three days. And my promoter of the league that I just fought in, mm-hmm. he called me up. He's like, hey, do you want a title shot? So-and-so, the number one contender in my weight class, there was a title fight for my weight class, which was 135, um, weight, But it was going to be in two weeks in Terre Haute, Indiana. And um, this is what I wanted. This is what we've been training for because this is where the money starts coming, mm-hmm. you know? And I just, I did take a little bit of damage on the last fight. I'm not, I'm peaked. The champ's a beast. I know that. I'm not afraid to fight him, but I know I'm not 100% to do this. Mm-hmm. And I'm with my dad. Right. You know, and I don't know how much longer he's got to live. So, you know, I'm like, can we push it back to June? You know, I think I could be ready by then. He's like, well, the thing is, I already have the fight set. Mm-hmm. I have to have a fight, though. All the tickets are sold. The show's got to go on. Mm-hmm. And I never fought again. That was it. That was the end. So did of you fight? You didn't fight that, or you did fight it? I did not. Did not. I, did fight not. It. I chose not to. I chose to spend time with my dad. I don't regret the decision. Absolutely. I never fought again. Um, but that led me. Then my father died. I'm not fighting anymore. Um, I got lost. You mm. know, kind of like, kind of like I felt. You know, when I got out of the military, and I just don't know where I fit in. You know, I'm trying to, all these different things to fit in here and there and here and there. Were you still drinking when you were fighting? And no, I wasn't. I was not not during training, like after a fight or something like that. Yeah, we went out and partied. Yeah, and I might party for a week, but then as soon as training started, now alcohol was not a part of that whole equation. Fighting, as unhealthy as it sounds, was really healthy for me. I, I ate great. I was in the best shape of my life. And this is, I'm 34, 35, 36, 37 years old fighting wow. and, and putting it on these kids, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. So it felt good. I may have been cocky. I don't, I feel like I was just confident. Um, but it was a good thing for me because it was another world where I feel like I felt in, I fit in. Now it's gone. My father's gone. This is where the drinking starts again. Mm. Heavy drinking. And girls and just living that that lascivious lifestyle. Just it was um I was going I was in a downward spiral. And I ended up catching another DUI. Well, actually I got a driving while suspended on life. And in Indiana, that was a C felony at the time, which meant that could be two to eight years. And they maxed me out at eight years because I've been in trouble before. Mm-hmm. Plus, I was on probation, so that was another three years. So I got an 11-year prison sentence for driving on a lifetime suspension, 
which meant I had to go do five and a half years in prison. And I did some programs in there, and I got out in about four and a half years. <clears throat> really bitter this time. And then uh, I'm trying to find where I'm going to fit in. Now, now, now I'm struggling against the system because they got their thumb on me. Mm -hmm. They got their foot on my neck. And I can't get up from under it because they want all this money, me to pay all this money, yet it's hard to find a job coming out of prison. Mm -hmm. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do, especially a job like, yeah, you can, as convicts and criminal, you can get road construction jobs and, and those kind of jobs. But the problem is if you have to travel, then you can't travel because you're on probation. So it's like they make it difficult for you to have a good paying job. And, and it just makes life really difficult. Um, I did end up getting a good job. I did end up uh, taking the steps that I needed to be able to travel with that company. Um, and I, and I did well until I, again, I'm driving one of the company trucks, a one ton with a dump trailer and a backhoe. Cause that's what I did. I dug up pipe and uh, would splice all that stuff together. So fiber optic companies could run it through the conduit. And then, um, I got pulled over again, didn't have my license, got pulled over at work, and went to jail again for driving on a lifetime suspension. Now I'm looking at some time. Well, it's almost Thanksgiving, and we're getting laid off for the winter. So I need to come up with $10,000 to stay out of prison, and uh, I'm getting laid off, and I don't have it. So uh, I took a I took a very bad idea and made it worse by talking to a friend of mine who I knew was involved in some of the shadier side of things. Mm -hmm. And I got involved with a group of people down in Mexico um, bringing marijuana across the border, trying to make my money, trying mm -hmm. to make my bones and trying to make my money. Yep. Got caught up in that lifestyle because here we are on an adrenaline rush again. Yep. And it was nuts. Um I got caught, though. I got caught on the border with 100 pounds of marijuana, and I was sentenced to the uh, federal penitentiary for four years. Wow. 48 months. I did that. Um, kind of had some... I'd been in prison before, but a United States penitentiary is a whole lot different. Is it? It's a very violent place. It's a deadly place. It's a... People die there regularly. Huh. And it's uh, it's like a combat zone. And the thing is, you don't ever know who's coming after you. Mm -hmm. So there's a really, like, you become hyper vigilant and paranoid. And even if you're not doing the wrong thing, if you're doing the right thing, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Somebody doesn't like you or somebody doesn't like your race or something like that. The stuff can pop off real quick. And those riots are not fun to be a part of. So um, it's a very stressful time period. So I got through it, though, made it through there. I became a lot more spiritual. Um, I turned to God, and the creator to me is, you know, God as you understand what the creator to be and whatever that looks like. And so I started to notice a lot of synchronistic events happening in my life and realized the power of positive thinking and the universal law is that what you put out there is what you're going to get, mm -hmm. you know? And if I set my intentions on certain things and I think about those intentions and I 
repeat those intentions, those things will come to fruition in my Uh life. They'll manifest and they have, you know, because I was going to get out of the feds and go all the way back down to Brownsville, Texas, which is a border town, which is a hot mess right now. Uh And this was during COVID. This was 2020 and they were going to put me in a halfway house down there. Well, by the time I got down there, I couldn't go in the federal building to talk to my PO. I had to talk to him on a phone from outside. And then they said, well, you can't go in the halfway house because of COVID. And I'm like, I'm, I'm homeless down here. I got like $60 to my name. I got one thing I know how to do. Uh (laughs) And I don't want to do that right Right. now. I just (laughs) got out of there. I'm not trying to go back today. Right. So, but I had a friend in Indiana who had, I had worked with before. Her name was Christina Loveless. She works with the Mary T. Clinker Foundation, helping vets out. Um, um, and then she, uh, she hooked me up with the Eagles Healing Nest and Melanie Butler. Uh, I talked to them. They sent me uh, the link to their website so I could watch a video on that. And that was at eagleshealingnest.org. Asked me if I would be interested in going there. And I thought, well, yeah, but I'm on probation down in Texas. Well, within an hour of them talking to the parole officer in Texas, they had my stuff transferred to Minnesota and I had a bus ticket to uh, head up to Sauk Center, Minnesota. Wow. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I want to hear all about the Eagle's Healing Nest. And uh, would you say it saved your life? Definitely. Wow. Amazing. Take a short break. We'll come right back. And I want to hear that story. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Sure Microphones, the leader in audio electronics since 1925. Visit them at www.sure.com and by Great Clips, the world's largest salon brand with over 4,400 locations in the U.S. and Canada. Great Clips, it's gonna be great. This week's Veterans Resource Nonprofit of the Week is Take a Vet Fishing. We provide one-day group fishing outings to veterans struggling with post-traumatic stress. The great outdoors has a natural healing power. Come experience the camaraderie and healing that one day on the water can provide. If you're a veteran living in or willing to travel to Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, or Florida, you can sign up free of charge to our one day of giving back events. Visit www.takeavetfishing.org for more information. And we're talking to Mike Dunphy. Mike, again, thank you so much for sharing your your life story with us. Wow, <laughs> been through quite a bit. Yeah, a little but bit. Uh, you know, as we sit here today, um, I watched you drive in, so I, I know you got your license back. You're yeah. doing the right things. So, um, you know, again, I, you know, it's it's pretty amazing for me to listen to this story, not knowing you, right? You and I just met yesterday, but knowing that you were one of the, the major reasons that nine veterans are now out on the water while you and I sit here and record this podcast. And in a couple hours, you're going to be out there fishing too. But um, you had talked, you had told me a story a little bit earlier in the podcast about um, you going to the back of a parade line because you wanted to be with a friend. And that, that really, I think, sets who your soul is. That's, that's who Mike Dunphy is. You know, instead of holding the flag and making your grandfather proud in the front of the the pack, you went to the back of the pack so you could be with a friend. And I think that that really tells everybody who, who, what's at your heart. And even though we all had trials and tribulations and struggles and gotten into trouble, um, you know, you're living proof that 
never say never. You can turn your, your, your stuff around if you want to. Right. And I mean, it's, it's important. And, um, the fact that you found the Eagle's healing nest and, and you shared with us before the break that it saved your life. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Cause I think it's absolutely awesome. Um, yeah, for sure. So I get to the Eagle's healing nest. Uh, I take a bus. It takes me about four days on the bus from Brownsville, Texas to, to get there. Um, don't know what I'm getting into. Don't know what this is going to be like. Don't know if I fit like I belong there. You know, there's, we just had these, these wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. The Eagle's healing nest is, is a place and, and it's a lot of people might confuse it with different things. Like it's a halfway house or a homeless shelter or a drug place. Um, it's not any of those things. It's just, it's, it's a safe place for veterans or family members of veterans to come to who are struggling with whatever it is. It might be they're struggling with their marriage and they need to get away from each other for a little bit, or maybe somebody is struggling with addiction problems and they want to take advantage of the opportunity in the sober living environment that is there. Maybe some of these people are struggling with legal issues um, they're going through vet court or something like that, and they can kind of step back and, and come to a safe place where they know that they're not going to be tempted to maybe make some of the wrong choices that they've been making. Mm -hmm. And so they can get through those trials that they're going through. Um, it's there for a lot of reasons. Uh, mine, you know, I was homeless. Mm -hmm. I, I was homeless. I didn't have anywhere to go. Um, could they help me get reconnected with the VA and, um, you know, get service connected if that was a thing. Um, give me a place to just kind of land on my feet, catch my breath, and figure out where I was going to go from there. And that's what they did for me. There's a lot of things that they offer out there. Um, they had, they have horses out there, which is something I got really involved with. Uh, cows, uh, big gardens, 124 acres. There's plenty of buildings to help restore. Um, the whole place is ran off of the people that live there. You know, they're the ones who do all the work. Everybody, if you have a skill or anything like that, then we encourage them to kind of just help volunteer a little bit and, and share that so we can just make the place better and better because we don't get any government funding or anything like that. It's all oh. through private donations. So it's a 501c3 <clears throat> nonprofit yes, too. Absolutely. Wow. And you said Melanie Melanie Butler, she the, the director. Mel, yeah, Melanie Butler is is the director. Um, her uh, actually the the website address or website is eagleshealingnest.org. and that's all just one one word eagleshealingnest.org. So you can check that out, um, see what the place is about. There's, I think I might even be giving a testimony on that video yeah. on that too, maybe. Uh, if you do look that up, but it's, um, it, it did wonders for me. And then it also, they see potential in people, you know, they don't want to force anybody like to, a lot of people will be there. Oh, I just need to get a job and get back on my feet. We're like, no, you really need to just take a break, take a step back, look at yourself, figure out what's going on and, and listen to your peers and be accountable for once and, and then move forward. You know, yep. don't worry about the stupid thing. You just, you don't have to worry about rent. If you can't pay, is there a charge? Yeah, there's a charge, but if you can't pay, they're not going to turn you away, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, they do things by what your financial income is. If, if 
people are service connected and they're hundred percent service connected and, and they get so much money, then they'll look at how many bills that they got going out and then they'll prorate that to what their rent's going to be. That's cool. And if they don't have any income, still come. We're not going to turn anybody away. That's amazing. How about uh, male and female veterans? So there are male and female veterans. We actually got a house built up for the females. There were some boiler issues and some plumbing issues because we just redid the house, um, which delayed the opening of that. Um, Again, another thing where we got to throw a bunch of money at and you have to raise the money and you have to, you know, get the donations and stuff to do that. But it comes in slowly. So we chip away at it like we, however we can. Um, but right now there is another, the administration building has several bedrooms on the upstairs. So the females live there. Okay. So if someone wants to make a donation, I'm sure they could do it through the website. Go to EaglesHealingNest.org. Yes, you go to EaglesHealingNest.org. Uh, and it is a 501c3. So you can definitely claim that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Um, so from Eagles Healing Nest, I understand that you also got hooked up with uh, an organization called AVP, Alternatives to Violence Project. So, yeah, that's actually something I got involved with when I was in prison in Indiana. Okay. Um, and it's a uh, it's an experiential workshop facilitated by people that have been in this organization for a while. And it's about conflict resolution and de-escalating um, and it's a very common workshop in prisons because it's become necessary. Kind of all started back in Sing Sing, actually, um, where prisoners got tired of seeing the older guys who were never getting out got seeing the same people coming in the door all the time. And they wanted to do something to affect change in their lives. So they started to develop these programs about building communication skills and not going down the violent path but trying to seek a resolution to conflict in a peaceful manner so um it's something i got involved in i saw a need for it when i was at the nest because it's a group residential setting too you got a lot of different people with a lot of different attitudes a lot of different backgrounds living together um communication can be crucial you Uh know and it's, it's impactful in any community honestly and they do do community workshops out in the public um, it's a great organization to be a part of. I became a facilitator because I wanted it to be a permanent part of the nest because it's, it's so va- such a valuable program. Mm-hmm. So then I did that and then did several workshops there with some people from the friends for nonviolent world who are facilitators with AVP and they're out of Minneapolis and they'll come in and help. And then we got some other guys trained to be facilitators. So I'm just trying to get this thing to just, yep. Slowly but surely. Yeah, keep going, you know, so it can be self-sustaining because I'm not going to be here forever, you know what I mean? But if I can start something positive that would affect positive change in somebody's life, then that's that's cool. That's what I'm supposed to do. Amen to that, brother. Amen to that. So let's talk real quickly before we end the the, the show here about um, just about what this means to you guys as far as, uh, you know, yesterday a lot of the vets were, were pretty excited to come you know, we, we, we met here at the uh, Whispering Winds Resort. Um, you guys drove for about what, four hours or so. There's eight of you guys that came in. And, um, you know, how often do you get to do things like this? So um, something like this happens usually a couple times of the year. Obviously, there's only so many slots open, so mm-hmm. not everybody gets to take advantage of it. 
And honestly, the the people who are who are really moving forward in whatever direction it is that they're trying to go in are usually the people that get tapped on the shoulder to come to this. And and so that also gives an incentive to other guys. Hey, if you want this, yeah, then you know, you gotta get a little bit more serious about what you're what you're here for. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Are you here just because you want to stay out of jail or are you here because you want to change your life? Right. You yeah, know? you want to make tomorrow better than today, right? Right. So um, the guys who really want to change their life, you know, they get tapped on the shoulder to come to these things. And then um, it, it's, it's a joy. I, I, this is probably the second one of these that I've kind of been to. And um, <clears throat> it's a lot of fun. It's exciting. I mean, it's opening day, right? Yeah. So, like, the, you can just feel the energy out there this morning. Like, yeah. I, I was up at 4.30 listening to the loons and just, like. It's you know, awesome, isn't it? Yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> It's wonderful out here, but um, the the fact that these guys kind of get to get away from programming or just the daily monotonous things that that happen at the nest, just the daily living grind, mm-hmm. you know, they get to come out here and in smaller groups of people you bond, you know, yeah, yeah. and they bond together. So then they're going to build these memories together, and and then that just creates a better friendship, you know, because some people at the nest. They might be there for three weeks. They might be there for two months. They might be there for eight years. They might just be there the rest of their lives. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. Nobody's, it's not a cookie cutter program. It's right. not a 30 day thing. It's uh, until you, you're ready to get on with your life and we feel like you can. Yeah. You know, and, and you got a plan and a plan of action and, and, you know, a support network out there. Then, yeah. That's amazing. I mean, I absolutely love the fact that, um, you guys all support each other. I mean, and, and, you know, guys and gals, and you're around each other every day. You're supporting each other. I mean, uh, I know from talking again to other veterans that vets enjoy being around other vets. They really do. And that's what that's why we started this whole organization. I mean, Take a Vet Fishing and Operation Healing Heroes, it's about giving back to our veterans, saying thank you, you know, for providing the, the freedoms that we all get to enjoy. But it's about camaraderie and getting those vets, like you said, out on the boat. And, um, you know, it, it's amazing. It's it's crazy what, you know, a day out on the water can do for somebody. I yeah. mean, and, you know, we, we, we all live in this daily rat race where we get up and go to work and or go to school or do whatever you do. And you go to sleep the next day and you get up and you do it all over again. And you forget, you know, to stop and smell the roses sometimes and i know it's cliche-ish but it's it's real man it's it's real when you get out on the water out there and i talked to uh one of our our veterans down there um he and he's 80 years old jerome right and uh and he said right before he went out he had a smile on his face he's in that boat and he said hey a, a bad day of fishing is better than a good day at work right and and i know we've all heard that that a million times but he meant it i mean he he enjoys being out there and he enjoys you know being out on the water and i think that you know if we all use what god gave us there's natural healing powers out here and we just got to stay in the outdoors and and enjoy it i met jerome about almost three years ago now he came one of the events we have at the eagles healing nest is called nest fest and it's our main fundraiser and and I saw Jerome coming up all by himself. This little old guy, shaggly, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm thinking, and because what we're about is we're about helping people. Who are, and, and I honestly thought, oh, this guy needs some help, you know. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of took him into my arms. I showed him all over the nest, told him all what it was about. Well, he didn't need any help, or he just wanted to come and see, you know. Um, um, he's He's someone else who's been in recovery for a long time, and um, he's a great guy. We became friends. 
a few weeks later, we're both at Lake of the Woods on a fishing event. And I didn't know he was going. He didn't know I was going. Yeah. So, like, we just became friends, changed phone numbers there. He's come out to the nest several times on events. We hang out. We've gone on another fishing trip together. Um, the guy gave me his boat. Amazing. Like he bought How a new cool boat. Is that? His wife said, You got to get rid of the other one. So he just gave it to me. It's, <laughs> it's a 16 foot Lund with, Lund with like a 35 horsepower motor. Yeah. But it's like, that's nice. God wow. bless him. <laughs> just gave it to me. So cool. Yeah. Right. So that's why I knew when this was coming up, I called Jerome. I was like, Hey, man. I'm you got to come do this. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, he's a good thank guy. you for bringing him because he's, he's an yeah. amazing guy. And yeah. I love talking to all of our vets. I mean, we just got in, you guys got in yesterday afternoon and we went, were able to go to the, the landing here um, on on uh, Lake Vermilion for dinner, and they were they were kind enough to feed us last night, and they're going to go there again tonight. But it's just nice to get to meet all these guys and just again shake their hand, say thank you. We did the anthem this morning before everyone went out onto the water, and Jeremy said a nice uh, Jeremy uh, uh, Johnson, the, the the owner's son, who's now taking over the resort. He's going to be the next generation of this resort, but. Um, Set us a nice little prayer, and we all went out there. And I, I hope they're all catching fish. I'm, I'm getting text messages left and right from nice. photos with with these guys catching fish. So I mean, and our guides, um, you know, a lot of these guys are recovering. Two of them are veterans themselves. I mean, and they're all out there just to do one thing, and that's to to make tomorrow better than today for our vets. So they're doing what they get to love. They get to do what they love out there fishing, and yet they're going to share it with a, a veteran who may not be able to do it as often as they do. So it's just as it's just as important for them to be doing what they're doing for you guys as it is for the veteran themselves to be out there doing, you know, having some fun and, and fishing. So yeah, and that's why I stayed back this morning was just so they could figure out. Well, okay, this is this is where they're at, and this is what that's we right. need to do. So they got it all figured out. I didn't have to do any of the math. I just got there. a text message from Jerome, and he said we got twenty four in the live well, and he goes we're throwing a bunch back, so they're catching them. So wow. you better hope that uh, with the the weather <laughs> as warm know. as it is, they don't turn off turn or something, off, right? Well, I want to say thank you uh, for taking your time and sharing your story with us. Um, you know, what would you say to any veteran or family member who's listening to the show who might be struggling with PTS? I mean, obviously, you, you know, your PTS may not come from, it may be from the military. I mean, you had a lot of stress in the yeah, military that, up on deck. And one of the things that, you know, I didn't really understand trauma before i always thought trauma is like okay i got in a huge car accident or i got shot or i stepped on a eye that's trauma yeah to me but you know trauma comes from a lot of different areas trauma can happen throughout our lives and, and it in does myriad ways yeah, yeah you know most of my trauma probably came from what i experienced in prisons mm -hmm. you know uh grant yeah i was my job was stressful in the military but i wasn't getting shot at um, it was an adrenaline rush for me and I loved it when I was there. So I can't say that, oh yeah, that messed me up. It didn't mess me up. It maybe made me a little bit goofy and crazy, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, my, you know, so all of our traumas come from different places and, you know, it doesn't matter. Like the thing is, whether you're with a combat vet and somebody who's been on the front lines of, of whatever, or it's a guy who maybe never even deployed. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a camaraderie just because you took that oath. Amen to that, brother. You know, just because you took that oath, nobody's going to judge you or nothing like that. And we all experience trauma. And even if it's not military-related, man, talk to somebody about it. You know, talk to a therapist. Talk to a friend. Um, I was very resistant to all that in the beginning, but then I started to – 
to do things and be more proactive in that. And, um, you know, I went through some really heavy suicidal ideology period of my life until I am really happy with my life right now. Good for you. It's not always perfect. And yep. some days, you know, it's like, oh, man. Yep. But um, I have a good life. I I am proud of the life I'm building. Good for you, man. Yeah. Good for you. From the struggles you went through to, to be able to, to hear that, it uh, it means a lot because that's that's what this is about. I mean, you know, we've all got a plan out there, and we're out there executing our plan. And, and like you said, uh, you were able to, to really – at some point in your life decide enough's enough and I'm going to turn this around and I'm going to, I'm going to make it positive and, and look how far you've come. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty damn amazing. So pretty far away in just a couple of years, you know, and the nest helped me out with a lot. They helped me get my license back. You know, I didn't know that I started doing the process and I needed some help with an attorney and they helped me with getting an attorney. And the next thing you know, it was not, I had to go to court, but five minutes, I had my license back. I had wow. my license had been gone for almost 20 years. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) So any any veterans out there that are struggling, number one, please talk to somebody, whether it's a friend, a family member. I don't care if you call a hotline or call us, Operation Healing Heroes or Take a Vet Fishing. We'll talk to you and we'll get you the help you need. I mean, so number one, don't be afraid to talk about it because there is help out there. But number two, um, if you need, you know, help, the Eagle's Nest is absolutely an organization that will help. So uh, why don't you give that website again real quick and yeah. phone numbers if you have anything or sure. contact names. Yeah, so uh, you'll want to contact either Tommy Snell or Melanie Butler. It's called Eagle's Healing Nest. It's in Sin Sock Center, Minnesota, right off 71 there. Uh, Eagle'sHealingNest.org. The phone number is 320-351-6. Two zero zero. Again, that's three two zero three five one six two zero zero, and you can contact them. I, I mean, the phones ring. If, if you call the office and it's after office hours, it goes right to Melanie's cell phone. And anybody in crisis is is welcome to call. Any family members, uh, call if you need help. Um, there, I've I've drove twenty hours each way just to go pick somebody up from a different state and bring wow. them back in. So good point. You do not have to be from Minnesota. This no. isn't for Minnesota. Yeah, this also is nationwide. I've nationwide. Gone, gone all the way out to Sturgis, South Dakota and picked them up. Wow. Great Falls, Montana. and That's you know, great. Sometimes we could get a bus ticket or a train ticket or a, or a plane ticket or something, but sometimes people are in crisis enough to where – you don't want them to have that opportunity. You want to have right. eyes on them and then right. get, get them as, as soon as you, as you can. can and safely. Amen to that, brother. Yep. Well, you're you're living proof of what the Eagle's Nest can do for, mm. for somebody struggling. So, I mean, again, thank you for sharing your story. Absolutely. Um, that being said, any parting words? <sighs> any parting words? Just, man, be good to each other, you know? Figure out whatever it is that your purpose in life is, which is, you know, sometimes that's the whole journey of life is figuring that out. But be a channel of blessings for other people and you'll be okay. That's all I got. Amen to that, brother. Amen to that. Well, as we said, life's a journey. Sometimes it can be a struggle, but there's always uh, help out there. So there's someone, something, organization like the Eagle's Nest that'll absolutely help you. So, 
We know that post-traumatic stress is a silent killer, but there are ways of healing. So make sure that you do some research, contact somebody that can help you out. If you'd like more information about today's podcast, visit our website, operationhealingheroes.org. And uh, until next week, when we talk to another veteran, uh, we want to say thank you all for your service. Uh, Thank you for keeping us free and can't wait to talk to you one day next week. Thank you. This week's Veterans Resource Nonprofit of the Week is Take a Vet Fishing. We provide one-day group fishing outings to veterans struggling with post-traumatic stress. The great outdoors has a natural healing power. Come experience the camaraderie and healing that one day on the water can provide. If you're a veteran living in or willing to travel to Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, or Florida, you can sign up free of charge to our One Day of Giving Back events. Visit www.takeavetfishing.org for more information. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Great Clips, the world's largest salon brand with over 4,400 locations in the U.S. and Canada. Great Clips, it's gonna be great. And by Sure Microphones, the leader in audio electronics since 1925. Visit them at www.sure.com.